Active the hive. Launching new hive sequence. Yo, 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 welcome back. It's another day, another week when we're airing this. I know, I keep telling you guys we're bringing on cool people, and I delivered for you today, especially for all of you out there that run a business, which because the majority of you do, you're tuning in to get marketing advice. This guy's awesome for you. We're going to cover a whole bunch of stuff between finances, between business structuring, between credit, I mean, the, the whole gamut of anything that money is and can be and the way that that energy moves. Jonathan's the guy for it. So if you haven't checked out Jonathan's stuff yet inside of our link description, go do that. Integratedbusinessing.com. <laughs> when you hit him up, make sure you heard about it from NeuroHive. We don't get a kickback or feedback on that, but Jonathan wants to know how awesome you guys are and get to know you guys too. So Jonathan, welcome in, man. Man, it's a pleasure to be here, Alex. Thank you so much. I, was a, I hope I live up to that introduction. <laughs> We're going to cover a lot of stuff today, man. It's a uh, it's been an interesting few years getting to know you. Um, and I, I know a lot of people um, with just the different business groups that we're in, uh, before we really got to know each other, your name was floated around everywhere as you're the guy, right? Of anything related to, hey, if you need anything or need a connection to somebody, Jonathan's the guy that you need to go to to get that. And it's funny how just inside of even these bigger groups now, like even Arte is above 2,000 people. There's Suman's group that's got tens of thousands of people in it at a time. Um, and it's funny how there's always like 10 names, right? There's only like really 10 or 15 names inside of each group where everybody's like, they're the guy. Um, and that's, and I think that's really how we really got to know each other is that both of our names kept coming up in all these different ways. And it was finally yep. like, dude, like we just need to come together, get this synergy going and figure out what's going on and how we can help people. Absolutely. I, I think that happens because of like core values and principles, right? So I learned that the more you help people, the more people are going to hear about you, right? When you go and you try your best, and even if you even if you're not the solution, you point them in the right direction, people that always have a positive experience with you, they're much more likely to speak about it, right? And a way to make yourself stand out really is just do what you say you're going to do, go above and beyond and really go out of your way to help that person. And then it's all about maintaining and develop, developing and maintaining relationship. Right. I've always been a relation. What was that? I said, I think that's the hard part, right? Is that people don't like understanding how to foster relationships, especially in these online groups. They're like, oh, well, well they're not really a real person to a degree because they're just an online association. That's, I really hope people don't think that. And I do think that you're right, that now that you put it like that, that's how they feel. It's a, it's a picture and there's some words that pop up every now and then, or maybe a live video. Um, I think it's awesome meeting people in person at some of the events, but it, you just can't take what you learn there and shake a couple hands and leave it off. Like develop those relationships, call, check in on people, see how they're doing. Um, see if you can help them with anything. Getting to know people at a deeper level. I think we're so used to just being on our phone all day that when you meet and bond with people in person and that then carries over to the rest of your you know, life, man, that goes a long, long way because it's a rare thing these days. You know, especially like think about your company. You are a national marketing company, right? So most people that use a national marketing company, they're not going to meet the person, their person, right? They're going to not meet them in person most times, right? They clicked on an ad or did something and that kind of ends it. Same thing with financing. You know, you have the major bank banks, you have the banks that are, you know, local. The local branches, you'll probably meet your guy, but not really. So when you can actually connect with people all over the place on a personal level and stay connected to them, that sets you apart, in my opinion. I agree. Um, what do you feel like has been a big creator of success? Because a lot, 
especially within these types of groups outside of just following up and doing what you say you're going to do when you actually get hired to do the job or even just, Hey, I need, I need a connection into this, right. And following through and making sure that that happens. Um, how do you think that's really been with your success outside of that? What are some other tools or tactics to, to really build that name for yourself? You, you, like maybe they don't even have the starting ground yet. They, they, they don't have the big reputation. They don't have that name notoriety yet around their personal brand. How do people start to work through that? Because eventually as you build that personal brand, it's all going to flow back into the business anyway. So how have you gone through that? I'm going to give a really controversial answer that may upset a lot of people. And if it does, I really want you to think about <clears throat> why this is upsetting to you, right? Because this is really going to help you. I feel like a lot of people chase shiny object syndrome. And I feel like a lot of people to develop a brand, a personal brand, and to develop those relationships you have to have a certain amount of experience. I'm not saying you can't develop relationships early on, but the value of what I do is in my relationships with a lot of the banks, the underwriters, everything of that nature. And then that's transferred to the people I work with. And even if I can't help them, I try to help them in other ways because I educate them. Well, and to be able to educate people, you really need to know the ins and outs. So that's, a function most times of experience. The other thing is when you are constantly switching what you do or your core values or what you represent, you don't actually develop enough recognition of what you're doing because you've switched it three, four, five, ten 10 times. And you see that. And why does that happen? Because on, like with anything, there's good and bad. You have people that hop in a group for Pretend that this is the next best thing since sliced bread. A couple of people like, yeah, I want to do it. I want to do it. I want to do it. And then they either give up or they realize it wasn't what they thought. And now you're the guy that, you know, you were selling books. And now you're, you know, now you're doing HVAC services. Well, they don't have anything in common. So how are you developing your personal brand by doing two different things? I agree. Um... I put a post out and I think it is a little bit controversial. So I got a ton of, I got a lot, I shouldn't say a ton. I got a decent amount of pushback on this. Uh, I said too many of you are marketing too much at once and it makes just nothing but confusion inside of your audience. And especially on social because people are only seeing like on Instagram or Facebook, they're only seeing people they engage with frequently just based off of how these algorithms work. So if you're not engaging with somebody Facebook or Instagram or even TikTok will try to push somebody's new content to you every once in a while. And if you're task hopping all the time, or if they're not seeing you inside of your friends list all the time, you were here, now you're there, now you've got another offer here and you're stacking that here. None of it really ever sings together. But if you're constantly talking about the same five to 10 things, which is different headlines or different hooks or body copy, then it actually can really move people forward. But what I found is, even when people switch, like we both have friends that have, hey, I've got a business here, I've got one here, and I'm doing these all these different things. What their master's at is telling you what it means. <coughs> their master's are telling you, I did this because this is what I wanted to get to. This is how I wanted to serve all of you better. So this is why I made that jump as opposed to, hey, my, my, uh, my business coach told me I should write a book and have a podcast. Well, it's like, well, that's great, but why? Where yeah. is that really going to sit for you inside of what you're trying to accomplish long-term or is it only just a quick way to try to get cash? And it's the same thing I see with like people that want to be Amazon bestsellers. They'll drop their Kindle price down to less than a dollar and then they'll try to sell it out there so they can get Amazon bestseller, even though it's really not quality work. It's just, Hey, we figured out how to hack this marketing system to get you that yeah. badge. So you have the ego boost. Well, we're talking about that. I mean, what about the Forbes, Forbes shit? Oh, Can we curse on here. That. Yeah, Joke. yeah. Okay, but but absolutely. That's some, let's let, let's that's break down what that is because I see it all over the place and I laugh hysterically knowing that they'll never be able to get into Forbes. Hold on, I I have an email, okay? Because I wanted to check it out. I know a lot of people have been down that road, and I just wanted to check out 
what is going on? And so when you, I actually asked and they're like, yeah, it costs like 3000 or 5,000 for the year. And you can submit articles and you get like X amount of articles in there. And then the thing is, if you're not being vetted and almost no one is being vetted these days, right? Like truly vetted. Well, that's how you get like all these scams and these people trying to rip other people off. And that gives certain, that gives groups, that gives, um, you know, a, that spreads a bad name and a bad message. And that's not what it's about, right? So sticking with consistency, sticking with consistency of what you do and your message and who you help and serve, I think is huge, right? And like you said, people can own multiple businesses, but as someone that has made a ton of mistakes, like more, probably more mistakes than anybody. You can have multiple businesses, but it should all serve the same audience, in my opinion. And if it doesn't, you are definitely putting out one, mixed messages, and two, you're spreading out your attention. Okay. And attention is like, you know, watering a lawn. If you water a lawn in one part, it's going to grow. Now, if you're focused on the entire lawn, that's great. But if you start focusing on your neighbor's lawn and his neighbor's lawn, right? You're not going to be able to manually water that every single day. You're going to burn out, run out of water, whatever. So you, people really need to just focus on what their mission is and how they, how they do that. I mean, you do that like super well when you stand out with like marketing, right? With, hey, anyone can, anyone have, a lot of people have agencies, right? Or, uh, or build a funnel, but you have a differentiator. And that makes a difference when people are looking into that. And so people in these groups need to copy, not what you, what, not ver verbatim what you're doing, but they need to actually have, you know, that type of game plan put together with the consistency. And then over time, it will work. It will. I want to get back to the Forbes Business Council thing. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I, I went on a rant. It's uh, so so walk people through why that truly is a scam. Because you're paying to get verified and potentially potentially end up in Forbes. And if you are that strong in whatever field you are, you shouldn't need a badge that you paid for. The other side of that. And I mentioned it a little bit earlier, and I found out about this through a podcast on uh, Tony Watley's 365 Driven. I was listening to a guy that literally kind of broke this scandal on uh, national news with like once you once you've gone through the Forbes Business Council process and you paid for that one, they're not actually associated with Forbes. Oh, I didn't even know that, which is a huge misunderstanding. Like they're not associated with Forbes Inc. They're their own thing. The second part of that is that once you've signed up for it, you can no longer be accepted as a Forbes contributor. So if, like you, you can't be interviewed. You can't submit like anything else ever again. Really? Yeah, because they're not part of Forbes. And Forbes doesn't like them being there and using their name. But because they're Forbes Business Council, they're a totally different business. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's even crazier than I thought it was. Yeah, it's it's literally a complete scam. Yeah. But you see people put put up that dumbass photo of them smiling. They've got the great like the, the, the photography is always off off the hook, right? Like it's yeah, really well done, great lighting, awesome background. <laughs> They're striking their awesome pose. They've got their thumbs up going, Oh yeah, I made it. They've got that bright gold badge. Yeah, but they don't realize they'll never actually get to where they wanted to go because of it. That's funny. That must be in the fine print. <laughs> you know, Nobody I don't think they're telling them that up front. Oh, I can God, tell you that. No, of course not. Of course not. Why would they? It goes against how they're trying to make money. Absolutely. But I do want to. I do want to set a little bit of a differentiator on the book. While I do agree most of the time it's completely bogus, I did it. I don't have it in my bio. I don't have it anywhere. I did it with the intent of giving enough information 
and using it as a lead night. Sure. That I think is different than saying I am a five-time best-selling author. A hundred percent. There's because a difference it's somewhere strategically inside of your marketing strategy, as opposed to, Hey, I just want to do this. Yeah. You use, you use that as, um, we call them soft offers within our agency. So the idea that you have a product that's typically very low cost, um, all it is is meant to move people from cold to warm audiences. And then once they're in warm, it's meant to give them something to where you weed them out of your total audience list and mm -hmm. say, these people have been willing to vote for us with at least a small level of dollar investment to see if we're the right fit for them. Yep. I, I did it because I think there's so much misinformation for new business owners. And I think there's so many different pitfalls out there that a lot of them fall into, unfortunately, that I wanted to give a blueprint. And basically that blueprint can actually serve it to, for someone that has been set up and been established because they can kind of cross-reference. Hey, did I make these mistakes? Am I, am I making this mistake now? Right. And based on that, it gave them like an uh, inside scoop into lending, payment processing, uh, legal status all core values, all those things that are so important to drive a company, right? And so that was the main reason behind it. But yes, I agree that the, I also think people pay for the blue check mark. I'm almost convinced that someone's running that too. Uh, and you don't want to be a fake authority, right? Because at the end of the day, when people find out, I think it actually serves an opposite, has an opposite impact of what you would intend it. Right. Where if you just are consistent enough and help enough people, eventually it works out. It'll happen. It'll happen. What are some of those pitfalls that people that early entrepreneurs tend to fall into that you wrote about? Oh, my God. Where to start? Just from a lending perspective, I think the, the basic things that you want to do is one, make sure the legal entity is set up properly. Most accountants can do that and figure that out. If not an attorney, it's going to cost a little bit of money, but it's better than legal zoom, right? Next, <laughs> once you have that, have a, a plan together. Like, hey, this is my mission. This is who I want to help. This is how I'm going to do it. After you do that, make sure that you do five basic, basic things that will really help you out down the line in terms of getting business financing, okay? We call them the five fundability factors. So first, and obviously you'll agree with this one. Uh, actually, we'll get to that one last. You want a business phone number, okay? A business phone number that is not like a Google voice number, okay? It needs to be listed to the business. Second, you want a business email. You don't wanna be John's funding at you know, gmail.com, okay? Bad, bad look. So it should say, Jonathan, and obviously integrated business financing. Next, you want a business address. Even if you're home-based and there's nothing wrong with being home-based, you want a business address. Okay, You don't want to rent a, a small suite in like a business uh, association like you're doing, like that's like Delaware and use that as your home, home address because that can actually get traced back to like being a, a closet. All right. So once you have the phone number, the address, and the, the next thing you're going to need to do, <clears throat> believe it or not, open up a business bank account. That is so basic and so easy, but so many people I see get caught in having a, a bank account that is just not, uh, it's like personal or like online, open a business bank account, and then Last but not least, you need, even if it's a one-page website, you need a website that is going to have all that contact information on there. And then from there, those are the five basic, you know, fail, fail proof, like just, just to get started. And it doesn't cost a lot of money. Like an email is like 10 bucks a month. Then you want to go to DMB, not NAV, DMB, Dun & Bradstreet with your EIN and register for Dun & Bradstreet, right? And that's how you're going to start that process of, hey, I'm building, building some business credit. All right. And then open up a few business accounts. 
And that's just basic, like how to get business credit, how to set your business up for the future. Another thing I see is people start businesses, and I talk about this with bad credit. It doesn't get any harder. Like you cannot make your life harder by starting a business with bad credit. Eventually you may need financing. And the better your credit, and once you have the business credit set up, you're in a better spot. Last but not least, have a game plan and have enough capital to take you there, right? And then have the right payment processing set up. That was literally the theory and we went deep into that. And then after that, I kind of explained how different programs work, what they're looking at and how to make the right decision when it comes to lending. That was the entire premise of the book. Throw in core values, a little bit on um, how to build a personal brand and how to get startup financing. And that was, that was it but obviously in a lot more depth. Is it just because there's so much information out there where most people just don't even know where to begin? Or is I, it just, just, hey, it's the legal side of it, it's the accounting side of it, I'll get to it when I get to it? I think it's a combination and it's also people pushing false information, right? And the fact that, one, you do need a lot of pros, and two, they do cost money. And then three, as a business owner, you learn things along the way. So knowing this stuff up front, and once you figure out, hey, I might've been doing this wrong, going back that second or that, you know, in that time frame, or having a plan like, hey, two, I have to address this in two weeks, instead of putting it off and putting it off and putting it off, which is human nature, I think really, really helps. Like one of the things I always tell people that have established businesses, the best time to apply for financing is when you don't need it. Their minds blow. What do you mean? Well, when you do need it, there's a lot of things, a lot of data that gets scraped online, or you could see it in your, you know, your, your cash flow, and you are not going to be able to qualify for the same programs. And if you wait too long, they're going to see it in your credit. And so having everything set up before and in advance allows you to operate your business on a different level, right? That's the whole basics of this is like, hey, have everything set up properly. Know what programs you should be using for what challenges and follow the plan step by step. And if you can do that, Obviously, there's going to be challenges, but you'll do fine. I think there's a weird, well, it's almost this weird kind of audience shift. And I don't know if social exacerbated it or hustle culture or whatever it was, where people think that debt is bad in some way, right? The idea that I shouldn't owe anybody any money, especially as a business owner. Uh, Dave I can Ramsey. Say from, yeah, well, Dave Ramsey is a big contributor to that. Um, and then you have the opposite of Dave Ramsey, which is um, like Grant Cardone, where he does everything off of debt. He's like, I don't, want, I don't want the liability of my cash flow being tied up when it can be the liability of the banks at the end of the day. And then, yeah, I'll have to pay it back if things go sideways, but at least I still have positive cash flow. Um, it, it's kind of this weird sword because I see... The first five years of my business, I operated it without any debt. I'm, we had a business credit card, um, but it wasn't until about six months ago where we were looking at it and we're like, wow, we really can't grow our team to the level we need it to be in order to reach that next level of profitability, that next level of cash flow without taking on some level of debt in order to get there. Um, I just think it's, I think it's weird that people, and I see, I see it from my side, which was I didn't there was so much uncertainty around a big number. Yeah. Right. And it's like, well, when you look at it broken down over months or over years of what these things really are, it's like, well, it's, it's almost a no brainer sometimes. Obviously it's up to the individual and up to where their unique circumstances are, but the peace of mind of knowing that you have cash on hand of so much or so much of a line of credit that can be used kind of like that break glass in case of emergency yeah. is such a peace of mind. But I think it, the double-edged sword of that, is, of that is that it'll pull people off the gas pedal too. Totally agree with that. 
And I, I love some of the things that you pointed out. And here's some of the differentiates. First, with debt, there is such a, there's good debt and there's bad debt. Easy, simple, okay? I don't think Grant's right. I don't think Dave Ramsey's right, okay? Um, so how do you break it down? One, what is the payment versus what is the increase in revenue? If the increase in revenue far outweighs the payment, that's a real positive thing. Next, does the return on investment outweigh or is, is it larger than the actual cost of capital? All things being considered, though, if those two things match up, you're good. Now, everyone want, wants to say, oh, I want the lowest rate or I want this. I understand that. But having speed and access is sometimes more important than rate. When you have time and you have a plan, which we discussed earlier, then you have the ability to work on rate. Like, and then a lot of people don't use the right program. So in, in Dave Ramsey's examples, he wants to pay everything in cash. Well, guess what? You can't grow as fast as you want only utilizing cash. In Grant's example, he's raising money from other people and then leveraging that money he raised to go to the bank and <clears throat> buy properties, right? Yep. So they're two extreme sides, just like you mentioned. The, uh, your everyday business owner is not either one of those people. And a lot of times, because they're so polarizing, people gravitate towards one or the other when the answer is obviously, what is that middle ground? So that middle ground is, one, how strong is my business? What's my business credit? What's my personal credit? Two, how long have I been in business? Three, what does my cash flow look like? Okay, and four, how profitable am I, right? Those are usually the main factors that determine how strong your application is, which is like crucial, crucial to everything. And now if all those check out, is it the right program? meaning equipment, right? You are supposed to finance, and this is something people don't understand, and this is a golden nugget. You are supposed to finance things over the lifespan that you're using. Okay, I wanna say that again. You are supposed to finance things over the lifespan that you're using. It. Give you an example, lines of credit, great for emergencies, great for quick opportunities, and it's good for short-term needs. So marketing, inventory, supplies, adding people to your staff, or emergencies. You take equipment and you buy equipment off of a line of credit. Well, a line of credit is usually shorter term. Equipment loans are three to five years. So if you're buying equipment, you should be financing it over the life that you're using it, right? You shouldn't be financing uh, inventory or supplies or payroll over five years because you're going to continuously need that and you need something to tap in and utilize that. Think about buying a, you know, a building. Do you wanna pay for a building over five years? Absolutely not. Because you're probably gonna be using it over the lifespan of that. So you wanna go out 20 to 30 years, just like you would with a house. And then if you actually break down the, the cost, the costs are very similar. It just goes between unsecured and secured. And I know this is like absolutely crazy. And I hope people listen to this again and maybe come for questions, but these are just basic principles of finance that if you understand and set up right, you will grow your business exponentially as long as you have a good product and good, uh, good service and good, obviously good marketing. Where are people supposed to find this information? So we've, we've danced and obviously you've got great channels um, around that and people should go watch your YouTube videos, go follow you on social. Um, and we'll drop those links inside the show notes as well. But, and it, it's a reoccurring theme that we've talked about across multiple episodes here, which is there, there seems to be like no real one source of truth for a lot of this because one, markets evolve and change, but the principles around finance have really been kind of locked in for decades. It's not like, not like we just invented money like we did with, uh, with kind of like blockchain technology in the last 15 years. 
these principles have been around for hundreds of years, if not even going back thousands when people would take on debt. So where's like a good one source of truth for people to find a lot of great information to get started? I mean, I can tell you, I honestly have learned by just being in the industry and trial and error, trial and error with my investments, trial and error with, you know, I, I took economics. I know no one could believe that, but I did take economics uh, back in the day um, and majored in it. But the biggest thing is it's not so much, like you said, the principles remain the same. The reason why the principles remain the same, Alex, is because it's science and math. Like science and math, if it's a fact, it doesn't really change. Like two plus two is always going to equal four. All right. In today's world, I know we see two plus two. Everyone's trying to tell you it's 10, but that's not the case. Right. Think about some of the offers that you see marketing. Right. You know, it's complete crap, but they have such a good offer. And it's so outrageous that people go there and they lose their money. Okay. Well, when you break down the principles of finance and economics, it holds true because it's just math and it doesn't, it doesn't change. You need access to capital because businesses are, it's a dichotomy. They're consistently inconsistent, right? So when things are good, people want to expand and keep pushing that envelope. Human psychology makes us kind of grow an ego and then things blow up. And then you have that whole cycle. And actually, I'm, I can't even think of the book. I'm, re it's a, I'm reading a book. Uh, I think it's Principles by Ray Dalio that goes into this. So that's a great example. It is super high level. However, it talks about empires and empires across times based on their theory. Well, guess what? Businesses kind of operate like that. It's like a microchasm of what he's talking about. Praise of beast. Yeah. So everybody talks about Warren Buffett, but if you want to look pound for pound, Ray Dalio's outbeat him. Yeah. Have you read that book? I started it and it went 5,000 feet over my head. So it's, uh, it's sitting over there. And then he has another one that came out too recently, but I haven't picked that one up yet. Okay. Is it, it might be the one that I'm reading then. Okay. Yeah. It might not be principles. It's a black book with red writing on it. And I can't, I'm drawing a blank right now, but it's incredible because it draws different parallels. But the average person is not going to want to pick that up and read that because it's so dry. <laughs> it is. Hold on, I, I got to look this up. As yeah. Principles so, for dealing with the changing world order. Why nations succeed and fail. Yep. Is that it? That's it. All right. Shameless plug for you, Ray. Hope you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I mean, but it, it really is. It's, it's math, right? So you mix all that together. And as long as you understand those concepts, you can do really well. And that actually, some of that led me to being an entrepreneur because I worked for a couple of fintech companies and I didn't like that they only had one program and it wasn't really the right fit. So me being in sales and sales management and them telling me, hey, make sure that everyone sells this no matter what, when it wasn't the solution, did not work. That's why I could never work for Big Pharma, okay? Because when you really wanna help and make an impact, you gotta help and make an impact and it's not a one size fits all. So I, I would just say that, you know, knowing that the more a business owner educates themselves on, those principles, where to go, who to trust, I think it makes it a lot easier to operate the business at a super high level. You know, I can't tell you how many people I turn down and say, hey, I want to buy a Ford or Chevy, uh, not like a work pickup truck, but just a, a, for their business. And I tell them, like, you're going to go to the dealership. The dealership's incentivized from zero to 2%, right? They're actually, the, the finance company is incentivized to do that. Uh, outside lending company cannot compete with that. So go there and get it done. You can still get it done in the business. Now, larger pieces of equipment, equipment secondhand, completely different story. 
right? So I, I also think people appreciate that type, type of guidance. Whereas, you know, anybody could sell, like if you just want to sell everybody, it's not always going to be a fit long-term because you're going to hurt people versus, hey, what's your pain point? What's, what's the solution? Even if, I, even if there's a better solution out there, maybe steer you that way because you'll always come back. You talked a little bit about bad debt. What are some examples that most people fall into with bad debt? Oh my God, where does it start? It doesn't, it doesn't stop actually, unfortunately. So one, keeping up with the Joneses, right? Keeping up with your neighbors. Uh, buying things that don't produ produce a return is another one, right? So if you're investing in things in your business and you have a choice between, hey, I'm going to buy a Lambo or I'm gonna set up new marketing and, and build out a whole nother team and you pick the Lambo, that's bad debt, right? I'm not saying don't reward yourself. You have to have certain limits on it. Also, how fine, like, how are you with your credit cards? Like, are you using your, your business credit cards for every little thing and then not paying them off and then paying that interest over and over and over? Or are you someone that is paying off all the business credit cards and just getting the points and the first, uh, you know, free 30 days of float, because that is amazing debt. Okay, so it's how you utilize the money and the debt that matters most. Uh, and I would tell you, like, just watching people's financial habits in business and in life, man, it's 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 tough, and you can see why so many people make mistakes. You know, taking out financing should be used to help produce a return okay that's really the only reason or here's the other here's the other reason taking out financing if it solves a problem like if your business is in a crunch you should obviously take out financing to help but only if you know the answer to the problem right more money throwing more money at something and hoping to figure it out is not the solution, right? Here's a great example. I see a lot of businesses that operate on net 15, net 30, net 45, net 60. And most of the time, their businesses are booming. They're growing at a very, very fast rate. The number one thing they come in and ask for is a line of credit. Well, guess what? That's like trying to build a house with a saw, okay? Because as their business is growing, their cash flow position hasn't changed. Yeah, there's more money coming in, but they're waiting longer for it. And now they have to consistently borrow money to fulfill those orders. Whereas if you use invoice factoring first, which pay, you know, you're borrowing against that invoice, and it's much, it's a lot of times it's way, way cheaper. If they do that, they're getting money the next day after they send out that invoice and not waiting net 15 to 60 or net 15, 30, 45, 60. And they're on to the next project, onto the next job. You can still get a line of credit after that's set up. And what that does is it, you're not tapping out that line of credit. Okay. Because as you grow, you're still going to have that issue. So that's kind of like the difference is like, hey, what is the right program? If anybody went to a bank to try to do this, the bank is just saying, here's your line of credit. Approve or not. Guess what? That guy's going to be back in six months or a year. Same problems. Hmm. This has been a master class in financing <laughs> and figuring out a good way to properly allocate funds. Right. And we didn't even get into like account setup or like how to actually like manage cash flow, but that's probably for another time. Um, you, you mentioned as well that you used to manage a sales team. Yes. Uh, there's a lot of people that struggle with sales across the board, right? <clears throat> they can have a great product. They can have a great business. And if you don't have a great sales process or a great sales team, you're, you're totally done. Yeah. You're, right. And oftentimes it's still the CEO of a company that's doing all the selling. So when they get pulled into all these different directions, sales will fall straight through because you don't think about it all the time, right? You're not actively pursuing or following up on leads or doing the, doing the things that actually matter. Before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about that of like a salesperson can really only handle 
three to five people at a time sometimes because before anything after that, the small details get missed. Yep. So what is that process like for you around building a sales team? Like, like what do you look for out of those people when building that? Dude, I love this question. This is an awesome question. First, you have to actually have a process that works. Second, that process has to be easy to learn and easy to track. Give you an example. Somebody signs up for capital gains to learn how to do what I do, and then they want to work with me as a contractor, or they're coming internally. I have I, you have to outline everything. So I didn't know Go High Level does it, but I did it in Trainual. You could do it in Kajabi. There's videos, scripts, there's tests. So someone literally comes in, plugs in, learns the entire process <clears throat> A to Z, and then I work with them personally and let them shadow me and ask questions. And you have to have repetitive live training as well. Okay. That's how to build and train what you want. Uh, and there's obviously a lot more steps to that on the back end. Uh, but those are the basics for being able to monitor that. Now, in terms of who do you want, it, I think that most people can learn, if not all people, can learn sales. You have to get someone that is one, coachable, and two, driven, and three, aligned with your core values. That is one of the hardest and most challenging parts. At least I found that. So if you can find those three things in somebody, and you know they're ready to work, they're ready to go, anyone can learn the back-end part. Okay? And I think a lot of people fail in sales because they have poor training, they have poor intentions, or they are just so old school and all they want to do is talk. When the guy that you're on the, trying to help doesn't really want to hear you talk. He wants to tell you his problem. He wants you to find a solution. And if you can't do that, you can have the best product in the world. It doesn't matter. You need to figure out what is really keeping them up at night. And if you can't figure out what's keeping them up at night, like truly, because a lot of times they'll tell you one thing, and it's not that thing. So if you can consistently ask that second, third, fourth question to figure out what it really is, it's a game changer and you'll do well in the, well with whatever you do. I love that. That's a, so inside of our organization, we have two very different salespeople. We have the old school and we have somebody that's more new school. So it was interesting from us because the, the guy that's more old school with us, he loves belly to belly, right? He loves going out, shaking hands and being, being the guy at the party and being able to drive a lot of that energy and excitement back. And the newer person that we have is the complete opposite. She's all about going out. I'll, I'll DM as many people as you want me to a day. We'll work on, if you put me in front of somebody over a Zoom call, I'll close them and I'll just chew through them. And it was, it was interesting for us because we recognized we have to have both because there are both people out there. But how does it fit inside of the generalized flow of here's our sales process, here's where you're allowed to have your wiggle room of how that gets accomplished? Yep. Because at the end of the day, as long as the client's getting the result and getting the best solution for their problem, I don't care how you do it but it has to be met through this process. Agreed. There has to be a framework, but it still relies on, are you figuring out what they need, right? And I'll, right. I'll break it down. Have you ever considered this? Because running large sales teams, you, I think there's really two sales types that fall into it. You're right. There's face-to-face -face and then there's online. That's a big one. But I've always phrased it like this, and I'd love your input. You have hunters, and you have farmers. Yep. And you need both. My hunters, they're out there looking for new people that we can help, new relationships we can set up and establish. My farmers, they're going to check in with everybody, make sure they're doing good, see you know, if they can help them with anything else, making sure they had an enjoyable uh, process, making sure they get a review. And then checking in on the established relationships, you know, maybe, you know, high level relationship. You need, I think you need both of those in an organization, uh, but without the original hunter, 
it's very hard. I agree. Um, and we, I screwed that up because I found the farmer first. How long did it take you to figure that one out? Because a lot of people don't ever figure it out. And what was your sign? Like, let's give the audience something crazy. All right. How long did it take you? And how did you figure out that was the problem? It took me two years to figure out that that was the problem. What I did to shift it is that individual is now in charge of client success because a lot of his, a lot of his farming, we shifted into what, like more of an internal sales role of, mm -hmm. Hey, you, you, you got a website from us or, Hey, you've done, we built a CRM for you, but what are you going to do with this now? Right. How are you going to drive traffic? How do you manage your leads? Do you have automations? Have you ever looked at email or SMS campaigns? We shifted the farmer to more of our internal sales role, but the main focus, his number one job is client satisfaction mm -hmm. and making sure that as he's communicating with our clients on a weekly or sometimes even daily basis, that information gets pushed to the rest of our team because it, it matters for our outbound sales of, hey, here's what our internal clients are seeing and saying. Yep. How can you leverage this and what you want to shift your script to or shift your presentation towards when you're or just your conversations? And it also gave our existing clients a sense of, wow, they care so much because we do yep. that you're successful. They've dedicated an entire person to making sure that this goes on smoothly for you because marketing is a roller coaster. There's some months we're climbing that thing and it's just a straight hockey stick up. There's other months it feels like the entire gears have just been ripped out of your machine and you have no idea why the mechanism stopped. You have no idea what gummed it up. You didn't even know you hit the tree five miles back, but guess what? You're feeling it now. It's like and, going in a boat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's the truth. You're right. Cause think about it. You have to compete with so much more in terms of algorithms. Uh, you know, what's being banned, what's not like it's, incredible what you have to deal with on a daily basis and without that feedback it's tough so uh, man that setup that's like the perfect way i guarantee you 99 percent of the people that have that problem do not figure that out it's tough because you love your employees yeah you love your team members and it's hard it's hard not to because you're around them way more than you're probably with your significant other and it's, there was a, uh, there was like a two week window where I was beating my head against the wall consistently. I was like, why is this just not clicking? Right? Like why is sales not clicking the way it needs to? We had, we had the opt-in rates. We had like going through the entire sales process, right? From hold, never heard about us all the way through, like we're ready to sign, but the contract never gets signed. Right? Like they said, yes, I'm ready. The SOW is awesome. Everything you're providing me, I know is going to work. Time for the credit card, time for you to sign on the dotted line and it falls apart. So when we were working through that, I really started to understand where that individual's strengths and weaknesses, where their opportunities and threats are. I was like, we have the wrong person on the wrong seat of the bus. Yeah. Dude, that's awesome. It was, it was tough though, man. It wasn't easy. And it no. was like, uh, and emotionally as a business owner, it put me through the ringer. And yes. I, I came out like, and once I figured it out and came out the other side, I was like, holy crap, like I should have done this six months ago. Yeah, we've all, we've all been there. We've all had the wrong person on the wrong seat of the bus. <laughs> but you love them, right? and, and then you have that story go on in your head, right? Of like, oh man, if I tell them this, they're going to get so upset. They're going to be, they're going to be so mad. And then when you're like, then you have the conversation with them. They're like, oh yeah, that totally makes sense. I would love to be doing that because it's what I enjoy doing. But internally in your head, you're like, God, am I going to lose them? Are they going to go to another job because they feel like I'm downsizing or they feel like I'm restructuring the organization so they feel uncertainty, right? Yeah. Like, and as um, our mentor, Andy Frisella talks about this, he says that managing people is the hardest thing that you will ever learn to do. And it's not just managing your team, it's managing yourself and your perception of what the team thinks of how you're making moves too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think this goes into leadership and being an entrepreneur. There's nothing harder. There's yeah. nothing harder on the planet. And you know what? I will tell you this. 
I give you a lot of credit by <clears throat> being able to recognize and move that person on that seat because the mistake a lot of people make is offloading that person. Now, there's a difference there though, right? The difference is, are they, do they have the right culture, core values, and are they doing everything they can uh, in terms of like, what are they required to do? Are they going above and beyond? Because if that's the case and it's just not working, wrong, wrong person, on the right seat or, you know, again, guys on the wrong seat of the bus. I see it in, in, in my organization and I am slowly transferring what they do because it's, it's a much better, uh, let's say tech setup. Like they're just more inclined to work on tedious tasks as opposed to relationship. Right. That making that transition is not easy. Man, this was awesome. And we are unfortunately running out of time because this conversation could go on for hours. Oh, yeah. Uh, I have one final question for you, and then we'll wrap it up. Where can people find you? And absolutely, how do they start to learn more about how to structure their business? How do they actually get business credit? How do they go through all the things that are going to be necessary for them to grow? That's a great question. So. On, Insta on Instagram and Facebook, it's just Jonathan Federa, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N-F-O-D-E-R-A. On YouTube, it's Integrated Business Financing. You can look that up. I have a ton of content on there. I also do, uh, you know, business coaching. And just follow me. And if you have questions, do not hesitate to reach out, schedule time. I am there to help. I want to see you guys win. and. Alex, I mean, really, man, I can't thank you enough. It's been an honor, pleasure. Anytime you'd like to wrap on one of these, you know, let me know. And personally, I want to thank you because you have been somebody that has really helped me a, tr a tremendous amount in a, you know, just a short period of time working together. I feel very, very comfortable uh, with the direction of where everything is going. And it's so rare to actually be able to say that. So just want to give you your due there. So thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Thank you. No problem. Guys, that wraps it up. As always, my call for you, my plea is go make somebody else smile today because it's incredible what type of impact it can leave on their life. We'll catch you later.